to 28. Peter declares that Jesus is the Messiah. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, how, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you... Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you lose on earth will be loosed in heaven. When he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah, Jesus predicts his death. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are, stumbling, you are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of the Lord, but merely human concerns. When Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Who, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. All right, thanks, Sasha. Good morning, everyone. My name is Tom, for those of you who don't know, and I am the youth minister for uh, this church and for a lot of other churches. We have the Inner North Youth Group, which we run uh, on, during term time, and we have uh, five churches and one youth group, and Mary Creek is one of those churches, which is great. Um, yeah, we've been uh, meeting together on, oh, in person again for the last four weeks, which has been really exciting to see everyone again. And uh, we uh, just had our Christmas party on Friday night, uh, which we had all planned to be at uh, the house of one of the families. Uh, we had a, um, we're going to have a pool party, our first ever pool party. And then uh, two of the people in the household had to get COVID tested. So we were back at church and I was like, well, you know, this is the perfect 2021 way to end the year with just one more COVID Problem. Anyway, so far, I think uh, we've done okay today for Sunday Funday. Uh, we are hanging out with the year fours to year eights, and we've been to Macca's so far, which is good. Was Macca's all right? 
Yep, great. Uh, and then we're going to uh, have some lunch together, talk about the sermon. They'll, uh, some of them will say it's great if they're talking to me. The rest of them will say it was terrible. And then, uh, then we're going to go catch the tram, going to do some laser tag, which is going to be excellent fun. I'm planning to win the first round and lose everything else. Um, and then we'll be done. So that sounds fun. So if you are uh, not... Uh, yet uh, in a year's uh, grades four and up. You have that to look forward to. If you're past grade eight, you cannot do it. So sorry to be you. We get to have fun. All right, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to look at this passage, and uh, we'll see how we go. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that we get to spend some time looking at the Bible, and I pray that as we think about it now that you help me to speak well. Pray that you help me to say what you want me to say and all of us to hear what you are saying to us and we'll be willing to be changed by it and to put it into practice. Amen. Well, I wonder if you've ever had a time in your life when you have been publicly rebuked like we saw Peter get publicly rebuked in this passage. I've never had it quite like this. I, I was a pretty good kid in school. I obeyed most of the rules, but every now and then I had a rebellious streak and I decided to do something uh, where I could you know, show off my skills as a bad person. And I remember one time when I was in year two and I did something very, very bad. And uh, I don't, I don't know if I want to share this, but I will share it because I know that you will all think differently after you've heard this. You'll be like, I don't know if this guy should be the youth minister, but I'll share it anyway. We were, it was a Friday afternoon, and on Friday afternoons, we would do our times table uh, drills, and uh, they were always uh, difficult except for the five times table and the ten times table and the one times table. I liked those ones. The rest of them, too tough for me. But on this Friday afternoon, I thought, I, I could do something now to impress everyone. Uh, I want to do something epic so I can be a hero of all my classmates. So I looked around at what I had available to me, and I looked at my desk, and I noticed we had these desks where, where the lid the, the top of the desk would be, was a lid and you could lift it up and keep stuff in your desk, which was really good for putting posters underneath your desk and really bad for keeping anything on your desk when you needed something in your desk. But I was like, this is a good, I'm going to use this. So I lifted it up and I, I stuck my head behind it and then I put my hand to my mouth and I did the biggest fart noise I could. It was huge. It was amazing. And I, and I put my, my lid down. I sat there very satisfied, pretty sure I'd gotten away with the perfect crime. But then my teacher looked at me and was like, Tom, get outside. I was like, oh, no, I've been caught. And I had that thing that you feel when you get in trouble. And, like, my legs started feeling like jelly. And, you know, I started to think about all the things that was going to go wrong in my life, how my parents were going to find out. And they were going to get angry at me. And I was going to get expelled from the school. And then I'd have a life of crime. And then I'd be in jail by the time I was 12. I was like, this is, this is the worst. Things have gone very bad for me. And then the teacher came out and talked to me and had a go at me for being immature, which I think is probably, you know, I was in year two. So it was my job to be immature. But I felt terrible and uh, everyone saw that I got in trouble. I wasn't a hero. I was just the guy who, who didn't get away with the perfect fart noise. And uh, this may be similar to how Peter is feeling here. He doesn't get in trouble here for making fart noises in front of Jesus, uh, which uh, is good. I think uh, Jesus probably would have thought it was pretty good. He invented all the things that our bodies do. But uh, he does get Peter in trouble. 
And uh, what happens in this story is that uh, Jesus is hanging out with his disciples and he says to them, he asks them, uh, who, do you, who do people say the Son of Man is? So he asks them, who do people say that I am? And this is the ancient equivalent of Googling yourself because there was no Google, so he had to ask them what people are saying about him. I don't know if you've ever Googled yourself. I do Google myself very rarely only once a week or so. And when I Google myself, you know, if I Google myself, I'm top of the list. I'm like number one on Google because Google's like, we see you're signed in, Tom. We'll put you number one. You can feel good about yourself. But if I sign in in like incognito in a VPN from the US, I'm like way down the list. Can I discover that? Who do people say that Tom French is? Tom French is a rugby player from England. Tom French is someone who like, uh, who, who drew skulls. Tom French is a lawyer. Tom French is a Pulitzer Prize winner. Uh, author Tom French makes terrible songs on YouTube. That's not me, but I do do terrible things on YouTube as well. Uh, but there's, you know, there's all those people, and then there's me. And so, who do who do people see that Jesus is when he uh, he Google's himself? Well, they reply. Some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Still, others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And so what are these people? Well, one, uh, most of them, they're all dead, these people. Uh, So that's one thing that's going on. But no one thinks that Jesus is a zombie or someone who's come back reincarnated. That's not what's going on here. Uh, But these are all people who had a significant ministry of calling people to repentance, calling people to change their life and to respond to Jesus, uh, respond to God's call to, to live differently. And they've seen how Jesus is preaching and calling people to change. And they said, that's what Jesus is doing, so he must be like these people. And so then Jesus asks, uh, well, who do you say I am? And then Peter speaks up and says, you are the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. And Messiah, it means he's saying, you are the king. You are the king of Israel, the king of our nation. And everyone's been looking forward to the king who is going to come and rule our nation, the one who has been prophesied about. And everyone's been looking forward to that king coming, and that is you. And there's all these expectations there in what Peter is saying. They're thinking that Jesus is going to become a political ruler, that he's going to lead armies, that they're going to get rid of their Roman oppressors, that Jesus is going to recreate the glory days of Israel so that Jesus would be a great king like David or Solomon, but greater. And he would rule forever in Jerusalem in the eternal kingdom of God uh, centered on Israel. That's what Peter is talking about. And so Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for it is not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. I tell that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And what Jesus is saying there is saying, Peter, yeah, Peter, you've figured it out. You got it. You've got it figured out. You you are so smart. Well done, Peter. And Peter must have been feeling great about himself. And Jesus says, uh, well, he calls him, he says, you are Simon, but your name is now Peter. He gives him a new name. And Peter, does anyone, what does the name Peter mean? Rock. It means rock. It means that, and he's saying to Peter, you are like a rock. You are a foundation uh, because you're going to be the leader of the church Uh, And as you lead this new church that is starting, your confession of me as the Messiah, that is what's going to establish uh, this new people of God. And Peter must have been feeling great about himself because Jesus was like, well done. He's like, I have done well, haven't I? And Jesus says, you know, this hasn't been revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And Peter's like, yeah, it was revealed to me by the Father in heaven, but also by me. He's probably feeling, you know, really, really good. 
And so then Jesus goes on to talk about what it means for him to be the Messiah. So it says, from that time on, verse 21, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and then he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. It says, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. So Peter's feeling really good about himself and Jesus starts talking about how as the Messiah, he's going to go and die. He's going to be killed. And Peter's like, well, that's wrong. You're completely wrong about that. That's not what messiahs do. Messiahs do not die. They go and they rule and they, they lead armies. They, they kick out the Romans. Messiahs are powerful. And that you've got things completely mixed up, Jesus. So Paul, you know, Paul's Jesus. I said, Jesus, get your head in the game. You don't know what you're talking about, Jesus. You know, just, just get it right. You've got to be the proper Messiah. Stop speaking crazy stuff. And so, so Peter says all this to Jesus, and so Jesus responds, and he says, Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. And poor old Peter, you know, he'd been having such a good day. And then Jesus calls him Satan. That's got to ruin your day, doesn't it? And it feels a bit funny, doesn't it? Like you think, why, why would Jesus call Peter Satan? Like, isn't Jesus meant to be kind? Isn't he meant to say kind things to others and not to tear people down with his words? What's Jesus doing there? Like, Jesus sometimes does have harsh things to say to people. He uses his harshest words for the Pharisees. And probably the worst thing he calls them is he calls them children of the devil. But you know what's worse than being children of the devil? Being the devil himself. And that's what he calls Peter. So why would he call Peter Satan? Well, because what Peter is doing there is he's doing the work of Satan. If you know the stories of Jesus, when Jesus was first about to go into his ministry, he got tempted by Satan in the wilderness. And he got tempted. One of the ways that Satan tempted him is he said, he said, I showed him all the kingdoms of the world. He said, you can have all of these if you'll just bow down and worship me. And that's a temptation for Jesus. A temptation, instead of uh, getting his kingdom by going and dying on the cross, uh, his, the temptation was to skip all the hard stuff and go straight to being the king without having to do the other stuff and just by doing the little thing of bowing down to Satan. And that would be a significant temptation for Jesus. Because if you have to do like a would you rather question, like would you rather have nails put through your hands and your feet? Would you rather be stabbed in your side and killed? Or would you rather rule over all the kingdoms of the earth and live in a great palace and have everyone worship you? Like that's a pretty easy would you rather to figure out. Even easier than would you rather have spaghetti for arms and a meatball for a head? Because the answer to that is obvious. Obviously, spaghetti for arms, meatball for a head means that you're dead. So don't do that one. That's a, that's, this is even easier to figure out. You don't want to die because that would be very painful. And what Peter is saying here is he's saying to Jesus, he's saying, you don't have to die. You can be the king without going to the cross. You can be the king without paying the price. And so Jesus rebukes him and says, get behind me, Satan, because Peter is doing the work of Satan. Peter is a mouthpiece for Satan and Jesus doesn't want to hear it. He doesn't want to be tempted away from his work. He doesn't want to be tempted by something that he really actually wants. 
to take the easy way. And so he rebukes Peter. And then he goes on to say this, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life uh, will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. And Jesus is saying here to Peter and the other disciples that things are different in my kingdom. Things are not the way you expect. You expect me to be a king who rules, a king who, who is a military ruler, a king who has great political power, but I become king differently. I have an upside down kingdom where, where the, the one uh, who, who is, is powerful is the one who serves where the one who gains strength gains it through weakness, where the one who has enemies doesn't kill his enemies but is killed by his enemies for his enemies so that they might become his friends. This is an upside-down kingdom that Jesus is the king of and is inviting the disciples to follow him in his upside-down kingdom and to live an upside-down life that looks differently to everyone else's because they are following the king of the upside-down kingdom. And so that's the story of Peter getting rebuked by Jesus. And so we can hear this story and say, oh, great, okay, good. Well, that was an interesting story. Let's move on to the next one. But the question is, you know, what is it that there is a challenge for us in this? And probably we want to be people who don't make the same mistakes as Peter. We don't want to, you know, get things wrong like Peter did. Like if you're anything like me, you probably get things wrong all the time. And so how do you make sure that you don't make those same mistakes? Well, there's a few things that Peter did here that he did wrong. And the first thing that he did wrong is that he made assumptions about how the Messiah should be and he made assumptions about what it looks like to be part of God's kingdom. And so we need to be careful that we don't make the same kind of assumptions about what God wants or the way that God wants to rule the world or what God wants us to do. And my dad always used to say, assuming makes an ass out of you and me, which is you know, a joke and it's a terrible joke because it's a spelling joke and they're the worst kind of jokes, but also... It's true. It's something to, to remind me that I, I shouldn't make assumptions because when I make assumptions, things go badly. And I've made a lot of assumptions in my life that have gone badly. One that happened fairly recently was um, when Harry Potter and the Cursed Child was coming to Melbourne. I got excited about it. I was like, we should go and see that, me and my wife, Emily. And I was like, what I'll do is her birthday's coming up, so I'll get her tickets to Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. And then she'll be so impressed with me. She'll be like, what a great husband you are. You got me tickets. And so I was like, I got ready for it. When they, the pre-sale they happened and they're like, emailed me and said, today's the day. And so I got ready for it. I signed in uh, to, to my account. And then it said, you know, you can, you can get your tickets. I was like, great. You know, there's 2,000 people in front of you in the queue. And I was like, fantastic. I knew the dates I wanted. There was a, there was a weekend in May. I was like, that's when we're going to go. So I had it ready. And then the, 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 the numbers kept coming down. You got 1,000 people in front, ahead of you in the queue. I was like, all right, make sure you go straight to that weekend in May. Go quickly there. Pick the best seats and go. I was like, getting ready. And then there's like 200 people in front of me in the queue. Then 50 people. I was like, 20 people. And then it's time. I'm ready. I'm like, so I quickly 
go through the calendar, I find the weekend, I click on the weekend, I order the tickets, I pay for them as quickly as possible, I'm like, yes, I got it. And then I, the next day, or two days later, it's Emily's birthday. So I'm like, Emily, look, I got your tickets to Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. And she's like, really? It's like, yes, like, husband, you shouldn't have. And then she's like, how much was this? And I was like, too much. She's like, oh, you're the worst. I was like, I am the worst, aren't I? Such a good husband. And, uh, and then we waited for months on end because I booked the tickets uh, for, for May and her birthday's in August, so we're just looking forward to it. And then the, the night before, it's time. And so I sit down at my computer, I'm like, I'm going to print out these tickets. And so I jump online, I sign into my account, I find the, tick, the ticket account, I, I'm there, and I'm like, there it is, there's my booking. I'm like, I've got to print the tickets out. I'm like, where are the tickets? I can't find them, I've got to print them out. I'm looking around, I can't find them anywhere. I'm like, what's going on? And then I'm looking at it, and I'm looking carefully, I'm like, hold on a tick. We're in May, but this says April. I'm like, oh dear, <laughs> this is bad. <laughs> and so I'm sitting on the couch next to Emily, and uh, my face has gone white, and I'm like, is there any way I can save this? Can I find some scalpers? Can I spend $1,000 buying more tickets? And then Emily looks at me, and she's like, what's wrong? I'm like, I have to tell her. I was like, I booked the tickets for April. And I was, she was like, really? I was like, yeah. And at that point, she could have gotten very angry at me, uh, but she saw how bad I was feeling, and she felt really bad, and so she forgave me like straight away. So I'm very thankful that I have such a forgiving wife. But I just got it totally wrong. I, I, we, had all the, we had the tickets booked, and we missed them. And we missed them by a whole month. And I know that we were free on the weekend that we booked them. It was in April, uh, a Sunday in April. We came to church, and then we went home, and we sat on the couch and ate hash browns. And while I was sitting on the couch eating hash browns, there were two empty seats of Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, and they were ours. And I booked a hotel for us to, in the city. So we went to the city. We stayed in the hotel and then we walked past Harry Potter and took photos out the front. And I made assumptions the whole way through and that's what got me in trouble. If I just thought that I would check my email when it came through and said, you've got the tickets, and I looked at the date. If I thought I should print out the tickets earlier than the night before, like if I'd looked at like a month and one night before, it would have been fine. If I had not assumed that I got it all right, things would have been all right. But I made assumptions and things went horribly wrong. And we can do the same thing. Sorry, we did see it in the end. Yeah. Uh, to, well, just to make you all feel better, we, I had a friend who found the story, heard the story, and he was like, he spent the money and bought us tickets. So he's like Jesus, which is very kind of him. So we went to see Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, me and my wife on a special date, also with my friend. But, you know, look. <laughs> That's what happens when, when Jesus pays your, the price for you, he comes along as well. So anyway, what are we talking about? All right, assumptions. And we can do the same thing with following Jesus. We can do the same things and make assumptions that we know what God wants. And we know how God wants us to live. We know what God thinks is good and what God thinks is bad, what God thinks is right and what God thinks is wrong. And we can get it horribly wrong because we don't check with God. We check with our gut, we check with our friends, we check with our family, we check with people online, we check with what's not going to you know, make us unpopular, we check with you know, what's going on in our workplace and we think this is probably what God wants, but we don't check with him. And so we can get things horribly wrong when we make assumptions. We can choose things which we think are good but are actually bad. 
We can choose things which we think are going to help people but are actually evil because we do not check with God about what is right. We make the same mistake as Peter and we can become agents of Satan if we do it wrong. And it sounds pretty bad. So how do we make sure we get it right? Well, how do you know what anything is? How do you know the answers to anything? You ask. If you want to know the right answer, you ask. We know how to do that. We spend our whole life asking questions and finding answers. Like, we all know how to Google. That's how we find out answers. We Google every day. You jump online. What's the best present for an animal lover? And then you Google. Great, I've found that out. Okay, well, how, how do I find a monkey? And then you find that out. How do I break into Melbourne Zoo? And then you find that out. How do I hide a monkey in my apartment? How do I stop a monkey from throwing poo everywhere? How do I escape the police after a monkey threw poo at my neighbours? How do I represent myself in court after a poo-throwing monkey was caught in my apartment? How do I get a job as a youth minister? That's what, we, that's what we Google, and we find out all the answers. Well, how do we find out the answers? Well, we can Google what God wants, but you're going to get some crazy stuff there. But we have the answer. We have it here. We have God's word to us right here, where God tells us who he is, and he tells us who we are, and he tells us how to live. So if we want to know what God thinks, we ask God, and he will show us. If you want to know where to start, then maybe jump in at uh, Matthew chapter 5, verses, sorry, Matthew 5 to Matthew 7. That's called the Sermon on the Mount. It's where Jesus talks about what it means to be living in his kingdom, a kingdom which is an upside-down kingdom, where instead of worrying, you look to God to be the one who looks after you. Instead of hating your enemies, you love your enemies. Uh, instead of you know, having to stress about will you have enough, you ask God as your father to provide for you. Instead of uh, telling everyone how good you are, you do things in secret. Uh, instead of looking after yourself, you care for those who cannot be cared for. That's what God's kingdom looks like, and he tells us what it looks like in his word. And so if you want to know and you want to make sure you don't make assumptions, then you ask. Ask the Bible. And if you want to figure out how to understand it, there are other people around you can talk to. You've got pastors and youth pastors and friends and family and wise people who, uh, who can tell you things, books that have been written. There's a lot of people who spend a lot of time spending time in God's Word, listening to the Holy Spirit, and they've got other ways to help you look at it. But you can spend the time yourself and figure out what is God asking you to do? How is He asking you to live? And you can make sure that you don't make assumptions. So be willing to be someone who is who's wrong. Wrong about what, God has, what you think God has said and be corrected by him in his word and be willing to change. And so that's the last thing for us to do. Instead of making assumptions, we ask. And once we ask and we get answers, then we need to live that out. And that can cost us. Because Jesus calls us to be people who take up our cross, to live in the upside-down kingdom, to do things differently, Jesus says to this, whoever wants to be my disciple but must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. And to take up your cross means to be willing to die. Because if you hear that, it's not just a, a nice figure of speech, but it's Jesus calling you to something that's really, really costly. Like if I was to say to you, go and get your bathers, we're heading out, you'd know, ah, we're going for a swim. If I was to say, go and get a shovel, we're heading out, you say, ah, oh, we're going to bury a body. And if Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me, you say, I know I'm going to die. Because the cross is an instrument of death. 
and people would carry their cross to the place where they were going to be killed publicly in front of people. And Jesus is saying, if you want to follow me, then you've got to follow me all the way to death. And now it doesn't mean that if you're a follower of Jesus that you're actually going to physically die every day you follow him. That's not the way it works. Uh, Probably most of us, hopefully all of us, will survive and die a natural death at some point and we're not going to be killed for our faith in Jesus. But what it does mean is that we have to be willing to, to kill those things in us that go against Jesus and his kingdom. To be willing to die to ourselves, to die to our sin, to die to the things which are not the things of his kingdom. To be willing to die to our love of ourselves and live for a love for him and a love for others. To be willing to make decisions that might hurt us but are better for other people. To be willing to make decisions which might be offensive to our friends, offensive to our family, but are the right thing to do because that's what God calls us to do. To willing to make decisions about our career, which might not make us as much money as we want or give us as much security as we want, but is the right thing to do because it's how Jesus calls us to live. To choose to be someone at school who behaves in a way that might not make you popular, but does make you loving. We need to choose to be different, to live the way Jesus calls us to, because we are not living in an earthly kingdom, but we are following the king of the upside-down kingdom who calls us to live in an upside-down way one which loves him and loves others and puts ourselves last because we know that we have a king who loved us and loved God and put himself last and gave his life so that we could have life in him. So if you are not a Christian, then the challenge for you in this is this. Uh, you, You live at the moment in whatever kingdom you want. You can live in your own kingdom with you as the king, and that's fine. You're allowed to do that. But there's going to be a time when you face up to some of the issues of this life, when you face death, when you face suffering, when you face struggles and hardship, when you face your own inability to to live up to your own standards. And if you are not following the King Jesus, then your job is to deal with those things by yourself. And you cannot do it. Or you can follow the King of the upside-down kingdom who gave his life for you who died so that you might be forgiven, who rose again so that you might have life in him and who shows you a better way to live than living for yourself, a way to live that lives for him, lives for others and lives a life that is different. You can give your life to that king who loves you so much he would give his life for you. Isn't that a better person to live for? And if you are a Christian, then the challenge for you is to not make assumptions about what is right and wrong but to assume that if you, are, you can be like Peter, to think you can get it wrong. And so to look to God to see how, what is he calling you to do? How is he calling you to live? Who is he calling you to love? How is he calling you to die so that you might live in him and live for the king who gave his life for you as the king of the upside-down kingdom? I'm going to pray for us and then I'll, I'll hand back over. Father God, we thank you uh, for your son, Jesus, and we thank you that he lived differently, that he was willing to pay the cost of being the king uh, who died for us, that he was willing to uh, not give in to the temptation to take the easy way, but was willing to go to death and back on our behalf. I pray that we will not make assumptions about what we think is right, but we will look to you for what is right. 
We'll look to you for what is good and we'll look to you for how to live and we'll be willing to pay the price because we know you've paid an even greater price to make us yours. Amen.